Welcome back to The Shepherd's Pie, a slice of hope to raise faithful kids. I'm Tony Kolank, a professor at Ave Maria School of Law. I'm also the father of five. I write a column for a homeschooling magazine, and I'm the author of the medieval teen fiction series, The Harwood Mysteries. Speaking of that series, I'm pretty excited. I've been working on the new book cover and maps for book five, which is due out later this year. It's going to be called Murder at Penwood Manor, so keep an eye out for that. But today we're here to speak with Kimberly Novak. She's a spiritual director and an author, and we're going to be speaking about how to deal with change in the lives of our teens. My guest today is Kimberly Novak. She is a wife and a mom, but she's also an author, a retreat facilitator, and a spiritual director. She works in various ministries catering to the spiritual needs of others, and she also contributes with her writing and other talents to Catholic Mom, to the Catholic Writers Guild, and to inspire Christian writers. Kimberly, welcome to The Shepherd's Pie. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. I'm very excited. So this is neat. You've got a lot of really cool spiritual ministries in your background. Uh, Maybe just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and also how you got involved in some of these things like spiritual direction. Sure. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a mom. I have three adult boys all on their own and doing wonderful. I'm also a full-time secretary at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. That's my day job. As far as the spiritual direction goes, I was kind of placed, I kind of fell into that, I'll say. While I was working at a retirement community directly for a nun and a chaplain, who helped to reshape my faith and help transform uh, my relationship with God. And I had been going to several retreats that often spoke about spiritual direction and started meeting with spiritual directors. And lo and behold, one night at retreat, God tapped on my heart and said, I want you to do this. Um, It was a very scary time for me because I had never gone to college Right out of high school, I was married and started having kids. So it was a bit scary, um, but I survived the incoming interview just fine. And um, my professor stressed to me that I would get out of it what God intended. It didn't matter what that was. I may remember all of the theology I studied, or I may remember only one important lesson that God would then have me to use for the rest of my ministry. Now, when I think of spiritual direction, I often am thinking about like a priest working with uh, somebody in the parish. Uh, What does it take to become a spiritual director? And, you know, what kinds of people do you see when you're a uh, kind of a lay spiritual director? The course that I participated in at John Carroll was a two and a half year course. Uh, That was evening classes the first year, and then the other year and a half was your practicum, where you met one-on-one with a directee, and then you also met with a supervisor who would then talk over your sessions and review your notes and guide you through the process. A spiritual director is more or less a prayer companion. Um, You meet individually most times with your client. And you might discuss any needs that they currently have, either they suffered a loss or um, they want to focus on one particular area of their faith, similar to a priest, but you cannot counsel. 
you can offer suggestions. Same thing as a chaplain would do without the counseling part thrown in there. Listening to what their needs are and oftentimes just repeating back what they said to you, will God will use that to open a door of insight into what's going on in their life in the moment. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. So it's really neat. And I'm sure that we're going to come back to this theme when we start talking about this idea of change, because I suspect you probably see change play itself out in people's lives as a spiritual director. But first, I want to introduce uh, our listeners to the fact that you wrote a book last year for kids called Bella's Beautiful Miracle, A Caterpillar's Journey, which definitely sounds like there could be some change involved in a caterpillar's life. Tell us a little bit about uh, what made you start kind of turning to writing for kids. Bella's story is loosely based. I'll say loosely because I'm not a caterpillar. On a time in my life, a storm that I went through and God placed me in the hands of two wonderful people who helped to transform me. And I wanted to share that. I wanted to share it in a way that everybody could understand it, children and adults as well. And I was always attracted to the butterfly. And one of the women that helped me to transform was attracted to the snail. And so I put the two of them together in my mind and prayed on it for some time. And then I decided to write a story, write our story in the form of the little caterpillar and snail. That sounds like a lot of fun. So maybe tell us the kind of the premise of the story and kind of what happens in your book. Sure. So Bella the caterpillar is going to sleep on her leaf one night in her tree in the forest when a sudden storm comes in, whisking her away into the air. During that storm, she starts to lose her faith in God. She's wondering why the storm is happening to her. And as her trust in God fades, her colors and her stripes also fade. She ends up landing on the back of a snail who was waiting for her on a path in the forest. And the snail is bright and beautiful. And once Bella learns that the snail is that way because she has Jesus in her heart, Bella does everything she can to want to be just like her. Now, is there any symbolism? Obviously, caterpillars, in my mind, often symbolize change. What do snails symbolize? Is there any symbolism behind that particular uh, choice in character? I don't think there's symbolism to change itself. In the story, the snail, whose name is Mira, has a moment with Bella in a cave where she wants to show Bella that she was once broken and God changed her heart that then healed her. Um, She does this by allowing fireflies to fly up into her shell when it's dark in the cave. And when the fireflies turn their light on, the light reveals all the cracks in Mira's shell, in the snail's shell, which takes Bella by surprise, because she she didn't realize how, how Mira could be so vibrant, so on fire for God and beautiful, yet still still carry those cracks from her trial with her. And I see it's a chapter book. Uh, what age range would you say uh, would be kind of the prime time to read Bella's Beautiful Miracle? It's geared for ages 8 through 85, I like to say, but if you're 95, that's okay too. For the, the child reader, it's a focus on, on God's love, sticking close to God when things are uprooted in your life, learning how to adapt to your new surroundings, um, welcoming new friends along your path, if that had changed as well. And for the adult, it's a great read for renewing your faith, 
um, renewing your trust in God or reconnecting with God and your prayer life as well. Beautiful. Eight to 85. Yeah, I try to do that with my series too. And my wife always makes fun of me and says, no, you can't say it's for everybody. But I was like, but it is for everybody. I don't know. She doesn't buy that. All right. So yeah, we all have to deal with change and and kids have to deal with change too. So maybe pivot a little bit to that. What do you think are some of the the big kinds of changes that we see our our youth today having to deal with? And, And then maybe we could talk a little bit about ways to handle change. I think for our youth today, knowing the divorce rate, that's probably the biggest change that kids go through. When their immediate lives, their family as they knew it is disintegrating before their eyes. You know, they have to live with one parent over the other or possibly neither parent, depending on the situation. I think it's important for the parent to be open and understanding to the fact that the child is going to deal with change differently than we are. It's going to hurt. You know, it hurts the parent, but it it goes deeper for the child because they can't understand and fully grasp the full situation most times. They don't know what's happening. All they know is their world has ended, things have changed, and that's time where you really need to get in there with faith and with God and with prayer and let them know that, you know, they can get through anything with him, that they'll do it together with him as well, praying together at any moment when the child's feeling anxious or distressed. And if the child isn't comfortable praying with the parent or talking about faith with the parent, which can often happen as well, to identify somebody in their life that they look up to that can mentor them and and walk with them through this time. Yeah. So you mentioned divorce. I know also we were a military family. And so our our kids wound up having to deal with change because we would move every two to three years. Those were always difficult moves, especially as the kids got older. And you mentioned death a little bit earlier too. I guess that's always probably the toughest of the the changes that we go through. Uh, So do you see these same kinds of having to deal with change come up in your spiritual direction? I mean, like, how does it present itself the way you've seen it? It happens quite often. And most of the times, if somebody's seeking spiritual direction, it's because they have gone through something. And that something is usually always a change, whether it's a loss of job, um, whether they lost their home, a spouse, it could be anything. And I approach it the same way I would, you know, a child listening compassionately and letting them know that they're not alone, starting off by finding their comfort level with prayer and what their current relationship with God is like, and then kind of develop a plan with them, how to grow that and how to get through the change in one piece. So if we were going to kind of walk us through this a little bit, what are some things that we would do? What would that look like if we were trying to help somebody deal with change using that particular technique? I'd want to start by finding out if they have a favorite prayer or a favorite scripture passage that is comforting to them something that they they don't have to look up all the time and just take a portion of that. It doesn't have to be the whole verse, just a couple words, a tiny piece of it. Um, I encourage them to write it down and slap it in their pocket, put it inside their phone case. If it's a child, it can go in a backpack or a lunchbox so that it's in front of them. They have that visual. If they feel a moment when they're starting to lose hope or become worried, anxious, or frustrated, to grab that piece of paper or to look at that scripture passage and just go to God with it. Um, Have a conversation with him and say, you know, what are you trying to teach me? 
or just simply be quiet, read the passage, tell God you're there and be in his presence. Now, were those often the reactions that people are having when they're going through change? Anxiety, anger, despair, and and having this sort of talismanic uh, verse or something to comfort them. How does that work? I think loss does bring on all those emotions for sure. And change does as well. Very rarely, even a happy change, I think, brings on some anxiety in the moment. And so if somebody is changing their job and they wanted to and they're excited about it and it's a promotion, they still tend to have those those feelings of anxiety, nervousness, uh, doubt, you know, should I be doing this? Sometimes they'll want to find out if this was something they desired or if it's God sending them to this new new position, new place, new home. And so that verse, if it's one that they like, that they're accustomed to, that they're comfortable with, can help bring insight because they're going to pray. If you give them that task, even if it's just one or two little words in that verse, it gives them something to do with their emotion. And once they're in that conversation with God, God's going to get in there and do the rest of it. You know, there's something that also just seems like a lot of common sense in what you're saying, because if you have a single verse that you're carrying with you pretty much throughout different phases of your life, you know, that's providing stability maybe in the face of change. Yeah. And that's why maybe it doesn't matter much what the verse is, as long as it's something that can provide that stability, maybe. Definitely. So how does this translate into your uh, Bella book? Do you bring this kind of a lesson down to the Caterpillar's viewpoint and how? Actually, I do. When I first started the book, I was just accepted to spiritual direction school and I put it on the back burner until I finished. So the story is really a lesson in spiritual direction written for a child. I would suggest, though, that the eight-year-old might not quite get it. So if you want to mention spiritual direction, you'd want to aim towards 10 and up so that they understand what it is. Um, When Bella lands on that path with Mira, Mira then becomes her spiritual director. She guides her on her path towards her transformation by teaching her how to look for God's light, uh, reassuring her that it's always there, even if she can't see it, and reassuring that God is always there, even if she can't see him. Uh, so you've got kind of a verse, kind of this idea of relying on the constancy of God. Uh, what are some other things that, that you usually bring to people and, and maybe to Bella here when they're dealing with change? God's love. You know, I, I often have to remind them that God loves them. And it's okay to doubt sometimes, and it's okay to worry, as long as we can bring God into those moments with us and and talk it out with him. There's some moments in, in Bella's story where she's frustrated with herself because she feels she didn't thank God enough for the blessings that he put into her life, and that bothered her. And Mira did a great job, and, and the other friends in the story as well, Gracie the Grasshopper, and Dottie, the ladybug, are all there to keep encouraging her and let her know that, you know, she's not letting God down, that God knows what's in her heart, and he will see her through it. You know, sometimes whether you're an adult or a kid, it might be hard to feel God's love. 
I, I assume you probably encounter this in spiritual direction, maybe often, where you might say to somebody, well, God loves you, but maybe because they don't feel it, it's hard for them to really understand it or believe it. What do you do to try to really bring home that love to somebody who might not be feeling it? I encourage them by letting them know that as they grow in their relationship with God, that connection will change and they will be able to start to see things happening. They'll recognize God more, that something will happen in their day and they're going to all of a sudden say, that was God. I, I know it was. I, c- I can feel energy. I'm, I'm passionate right now and, and I want to tell everybody what God just did. That is a really good way to point out to people that God's love is, is with them and that they're experiencing it. So for Bella, what finally does the trick? What brings on this beautiful miracle? Is there any any one moment that really uh, helps her to finally connect with this idea of overcoming or dealing with the change? There's many moments, actually. There's almost one in every chapter from chapter four through the end where God starts revealing himself through her little God moments uh, and her hidden blessings. But I think the moment that's standing out to me now is when Bella is ministering to Dottie, the ladybug, who is new on the journey. And she's telling Dottie everything that Mira has taught her. And as she does this, Dottie's face lights up with the shine. Bella calls it God's shine. She's always looking for that on her own face. So when she's talking to Dottie and she sees her light in her face, she, she realizes that so let's say you have a mom uh, or a uh, teacher in front of you and they're like, hey, you know, I have this kid who's really gone through a big change in his life. He seems to be having a hard time dealing with it. And you have a minute or two to give them some advice. What do you think would be your, your best advice for how they can try to reach out and help that child? To have really big listening ears, allow the child to get it all out. Um, without asking too many questions. You know, they say a good spiritual director shuts up. And I think that would be the same for the parent because the more you you talk, you're going to want to get it out of them, but they're going to pull back. So you have to just sit them down. You have a cup of tea in your hand, so you keep drinking it and let them go. And then once everything's out on the table and you know what you're dealing with, then you can make the decisions as far as who else do we need to bring in you know, is the child comfortable speaking with our parish priest? Or, you know, is the child comfortable speaking to a mentor, somebody who's maybe only a couple years older than them, and then all regroup together and always, you know, seek a medical professional if they think it's it's needed. All right. That's a lot of great advice, I think. And I could see how that would work for kids and adults. Uh, So let's talk about how folks can get a hold of uh, your book, Bella's Beautiful Miracle, A Caterpillar's Journey. Uh, And also, if they want to learn more about you as an author or a spiritual director, where would you direct folks to? They can go to my website, which is KimberlyNovak.com. And on the website, there's a contact form if you want more information on spiritual direction and a link to Amazon to purchase the book. It's also on other online retailers as well. And I have an online prayer group on Facebook called The Little God Time. And the link to that is on my website as well. It's a private group um, where I post scripture and Lexio Divina and we pray for one another. It's a beautiful thing. 
And folks can uh, join that directly from your website? Yes, they can. Wonderful. And by the way, I wanted to ask, some of the illustrations you have in Bella's Beautiful Miracle are just really uh, beautiful. Uh, who's your illustrator? The illustrator was part of the publishing company. Uh, they have a design team. Oh, they did a great job. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think that's a good place for us to segue into our entertainment segment. On our entertainment segment, I often like to ask my guests if they have a, a book or movie that they would recommend to our listeners, especially uh, if it happens to also coincide with the topic of the day. And I understand, Kimberly, that you've brought us one that I know and actually really enjoy myself. What do you got for us? I have A Single Bead by Stephanie Engelman. It's a young adult or teen and its focus is on change. The family endures a death in the family, which causes an upheaval. And Kate, the young girl in the book, is focused on a rosary bead that she finds at the site where her grandmother had passed away. And she quickly learns that the power of prayer can feed her faith and change her outlook on the way she's perceiving the situation. Kate's mom is having a very hard time dealing with the loss of Kate's grandmother and is shutting God out. And so it becomes Kate's mission in the story to find a way to bring her mom back into God's presence so that she can be just as uplifted as Kate was through renewing her faith. So as a spiritual director, did you see some of the advice that you give people sort of demonstrated in the pages of this uh, teen book? I did. Oftentimes it was even just a simple sentence, like, let's just pray. Let's just do it now. Kate's Kate's good friend um, liked to pray the rosary with her on the phone. And Kate would often try to make excuses up so that she didn't have to do it. But her friend would make a very good spiritual director because she always won out. And Kate felt so much better after the time spent in prayer with her. Yeah. Now you might not know this. Stephanie Engelman is a member of our uh, group that I'm part of, CatholicTeenBooks.com. And I, I often will plug that website because it's a great place for families to go to look for a variety of books written for Catholic teens. Uh, there's like 15 or 16 of us authors on there. Stephanie's one of them, and I know her single beat is is always a favorite uh, among families. So what, what age range would you say this is probably uh, best suited for this book? I would say 13 and up. Yeah, there are some adult type situations that uh, she encounters that maybe would be too mature for a littler kid. Definitely. Okay. Well, A Single Bead by Stephanie Engelman, which is a, a good one to, to think about change. Kimberly, it has been wonderful having you on the show. I really appreciate the insights you bring to this as a spiritual director. And your book, Bella's Beautiful Miracle, looks wonderful. So I hope folks will go out and check it out. Uh, but it's just been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I've enjoyed it. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for the show today. We've been speaking with Kimberly Novak about change and how to handle change in your lives, especially as a youth. Again, this is Anthony Barone Colink. If you have a question for me or a topic you want me to cover, feel free to drop me a line on my website at anthonycolink.com. And you can also learn more about my historical fiction series, The Hardwood Mysteries, on my website. 
Until next time, may God bless you and your families as we work together to raise faithful kids. to 89.3 FM WQPH Shirley Fitchburg. I'm delighted that listeners in this area can enjoy Catholic radio from EWTN 24 hours a day. When you receive a request for a donation to help WQPH, please be as generous as you can. Thank you, Andy. Please help us at WQPH by sending your donation, large or small, to Eternal Life Radio. Post Office Box 589, Medford, Mass. 02155. Or visit us online at www.wqph.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Kendra Von Esch, a recovered corporate executive who left it all behind to help bring others to a deeper relationship with God and the beautiful Catholic faith. Here is my reflection for today. As you all know, we have been called to be disciples. Yet, so often, we're shy and we don't really know how to evangelize. So let's try something new. Do you have a stack of holy cards collecting dust stacking up in your drawer at home like I do? Maybe some of them are even blessed. So what if we all carried our holy cards with us and then we waited for the Holy Spirit to prompt us to hand one to someone in need? That's what happened to me. A man in his 70s that I didn't know, a big six-foot-something burly man, gave me a card that said, I prayed for you today. I was in Mass. It was after the Eucharist, as he was walking back to his pew. It touched me like I could never imagine. I cried and thanked God It was just what I needed, and I was so grateful that that man listened to the Holy Spirit and gave me that beautiful gift and love from God. And now I know that I'm in his prayers. I say hi to him all the time, and I've received one more prayer card from him as well. So let's go be disciples and pass God's love out to others through these beautiful acts of love. For more inspiration, free downloads, and resources, check out KendraVonEsch.com. Have a blessed and inspired day.